Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. We wrap up another week. Quite a bit going on. Report day today from USDA. Of course, be a lot of attention on that uh, throughout today, and we'll be talking more about that next week, looking back on it and kind of breaking that down. Uh, big court ruling on a pesticide. This thing uh, could have big ramifications. We'll talk with Gary Bays, an attorney with OFW Law, about that a little bit later on. Uh, also, there's a proposed... Um, 20% deduction for pass-through entities. This could uh, be a positive for many farms and ranches. We're going to talk with uh, CPA with Clifton Larson and Paul Niefer will be joining us to break that down and tell us what could be in there and how it could help uh, farmers and ranchers. Uh, the fake meat situation, there's big battle over jurisdiction, FDA or USDA, but also there's some polling out, uh, consumers reacting to it already. Would they want fake meat? Would they buy fake meat? And talk about that with Colin Whittle with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. But first up, we bring in Chris Clayton from DTN. Chris, I think you're in Washington, D.C., right? Yeah, yes, I am. Mike, how's it going this morning? Very good. Interesting, yesterday the announcement, USDA says Economic Research Service uh, and some other offices uh, will be part of a reorganization plan and uh, Actually, hundreds of USDA workers would have to move outside of Washington, D.C. Tell us a little bit more about this and what kind of reaction is it getting there? Um, basically, you're talking about the uh, Economic Research Service, uh, all of the, uh, you know, real bean counters, so to speak, um, looking at the analysis for uh, a broad array of things that USDA report puts out on uh, the economics of uh, everything involving agriculture, and then NIFA, which is more of a grant-making institution uh, for uh, land-grant universities and others, uh, they basically kind of lay out and look at uh, scientific issues that uh, demand more study. So two uh, different kind of agencies, but... Um, they involve about 700 employees, and you're talking about a lot of people who are, um, you know, PhDs specifically in economics or scientific research or uh, in in those various uh, niche kind of uh, industries. And so um, it, it does raise some questions um, if you separate them away from headquarters are they uh, are they more objective, uh, or yet are, does it uh, create some sort of uh, complications uh, if you're wherever you're moving them to? These people likely also have spouses with uh, high-end degrees. Uh, chances are we don't know how many of them might have spouses who also work in other aspects of the federal government. Um, so it can be a complicated situation. Um, USDA didn't provide a lot of analysis uh, about it because I specifically kind of pushed, you know, about what, what kind of the analysis did you guys do on this? What's your criteria for uh, moving uh, these? Uh, what city would, uh, you know, how, how would you determine where, where these offices would go? So uh, a lot of uh, questions are basically that would be up in the air as they move as they move forward on this stuff. 
Yeah, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, get them out of Washington, but you're disrupting some people's lives, obviously. And, and where do they go, and, and what's the advantage to them going? I think those are the uh, questions that people will be asking and looking for answers to. Yeah, you know, I mean, is it just kind of an idea to show that, hey, we're moving some people out of Washington, or, uh, you know, what's the logic here? If you're in the Economic Research Service, you likely have to walk and go down to other departments uh, within USDA to get information about particular things. You know, you might be wanting to have a conversation with uh, somebody in IT or somebody at NAS or somebody uh, at FSA. You're looking for very specific kind of details about something, and that might become a lot more complicated for them just to get the information that they normally get on a daily basis that we really don't know. But that went over real well, though, in Washington. I haven't heard anything back on that yet. <laughs> I think, you know, I I think there's a couple million dollars in savings there that could be had. So. Yeah. Uh, well, if that happens, we'll give you credit. But good luck. I don't know that uh, you'll get them to move. But uh, interesting, interesting suggestion. We're talking with Chris Clayton with DTN. Chris, what's the feeling on the house is on recess? I know it makes it a little quieter there in Washington. But are you picking up anything on uh, how quickly they think they can get this farm bill done when they all get back? Um, it's been relatively quiet, but there seems to be still this consensus that they can make it by September 30th. Um, there, uh, I noticed that at least there were a few couple of congressmen who spoke to the uh, sugar meeting in Michigan this week, and one of them was a Republican who thought, you know, you know, work requirements for SNAP are a good idea, but they shouldn't hold up the farm bill. And that was an interesting statement from a Republican congressman. Uh, at that meeting, uh, and maybe I think that's an indicator as well that this is a, an idea that they would certainly like to uh, push and move, but, you know, once again, they have to take a look at the Senate side that had 86 votes and has the Senate majority leader sitting with them on the conference committee. So, you know, I, I think that's a strong indicator that they believe that the Senate farm bill is uh, is uh, is much more likely to uh, uh, to win out in the end. Uh, if you know, if the Senate Farm Bill moved to the House side, you would probably get you know eighty five percent of Democrats probably voting for it as well. So you know, it uh, it really depends on if uh, the Republican House Republicans want to stand firm on that issue or if they really want to get a farm bill before September 30th, because they're going to be out most of October right. campaigning. You know, if you don't get it done September 30th, then you move it out to the lame duck session. Yeah, you've really got a small window there now, and, I, and obviously a lot of things are going on behind the scenes, but you still got a lot to do yeah. with everybody there. And basically you're, you're looking at uh, September to get that done, and uh, that 
that time goes pretty quickly. All right, Chris, thanks a lot. Good to hear from you, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks a lot, and have a great weekend. You too. Chris Clayton with DTN, uh, checking in with us from Washington, D.C. All right, coming up a little bit later, we're going to talk about uh, the big ruling, a pesticide ruling, its impact on agriculture. Uh, Gary Bays, uh, attorney with OFW Law, will be joining us. Also later, we're going to talk with CPA, with Clifton Larson Allen, Paul Niefer, to talk about this proposed 20% deduction for pass-through entities. Could be favorable for some farms and ranches uh, structured as pass-throughs. Uh, we'll, we'll get into all that. But coming up next, Colin Woodall with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. This fake meat, imitation meat, lab meat, whatever you want to call it, uh, I know it's starting to get a lot of attention and getting on consumers' radars already. We'll talk about that and concerns that the livestock industry has about it. Colin Woodall next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. A lot can happen in six seconds. A rodeo ride, a dramatic basketball win, and the world record holder can solve a Rubik's Cube. Six seconds is how long it takes for an 18-wheeler traveling at a safe speed to come to a complete stop. And in those six seconds, that truck will travel the length of two football fields. So please, give them room. Never cut in front of a large truck for any reason. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for four seasons now. 
find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. Colin Woodall, Senior Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association with us. Colin, thanks for joining us. going to talk about fake meat, but I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, The Mexican Economy Secretary meets again today with U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer in their continued uh, talks to um, work out a deal between the U.S. and Mexico in the NAFTA renegotiation. Meanwhile, Canada is still on the sidelines on this. Uh, what are your thoughts on this strategy, going, uh, uh, getting a deal, trying to get a deal done with Mexico, and then perhaps that puts pressure on Canada to come in later? Do you like this approach? We're going to take this approach, Mike, because we do believe it's a great opportunity to put a squeeze on Canada. In fact, we were over at the U.S. Trade Representative's office yesterday when the Mexican delegation came in and encouraged them to uh, try to bring a quick closure to the discussions from the Mexican and U.S. side, so that way hopefully that pressure can be exerted on Canada. Uh, We need some certainty here. Uh, We have been going in through this entire NAFTA process under the assumption that once we got to the Mexican presidential election, which was on July 1st, that after that we probably wouldn't have the opportunity to advance this. But that's not the case, as we are seeing. The conversation continues. And so in order to compensate for some of the things that we're seeing in in China, for example, getting a a quick closure to the NAFTA 2.0 is something we are pushing for, and, and we will take whatever means we believe we can use to get to that point. Basically, in agriculture, on trade, we need a win, right? We do need a win. Uh, That is something that all of us are looking for, especially for those of us in the cattle industry. And this would be a tremendous win. And another win that is sitting in the wings is the revised South Korean, the Chorus Free Trade Agreement. Uh, Those negotiations have been completed, but yet the president still hasn't signed that uh, final agreement. If he could sign that as well, deliver a win on NAFTA, I think that would go a long way in helping agriculture feel much better about his overall trade priorities. Now, there are talks going on with Japan. Now, Japan has made it clear they preferred TPP, so it remains to be seen if we can work out a, a one-on-one deal, a bilateral deal with uh, Japan, but certainly that would be big news, too. Japan has been very clear with the administration and with us as stakeholders that their preference is for us to rejoin TPP. And the reason why is because the Japanese government, specifically Prime Minister Abe, put a lot of uh, his own uh, reputation on the line in pushing for Japan to join TPP. And the reason that he gave his people why he wanted to be a part of TPP was because the United States was a part of it, and this was going to be so beneficial to the overall relationship between our two countries. Then, of course, President Trump came in, took us out, and that was a bit of a blow to his reputation. So that's why he really wants to get us back into TPP rather than spending time on a bilateral agreement. We're talking with Colin Woodall with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. All right, Colin, we've talked before uh, about your preference to have USDA have oversight over fake meat, lab meat, imitation meat, whatever it's called, uh, the battle between USDA and, and, and FDA. But I, 
as this has gone on, I've seen some recent polls and surveys among consumers. I'd be interested to see where they talk to these people, where they're from and their backgrounds. But there seems to be a growing interest by consumers and an acceptance before it really hits the market of the, of this product. How concerned are you about that? I think we have to be very concerned because we know that this is a product that's coming to market and we know that it is going to take some market share. People are going to try it, even if it's out of curiosity. Those polls you reference are ones that we have watched very closely. And it's interesting, I think, when you look at the way they phrase the conversation because a lot of times we have found they will preference the question with uh, a statement kind of like, well, you know, regular beef is pumped full of hormones and antibiotics. As a result, would you eat fake meat? Well, I think in a situation like that, most people who listen to that who don't know any better might say, oh, yeah, I might give it a try. So we don't put a whole lot of credence into these polls, but we do, again, take the issue of fake meat very seriously, which is why we are pushing for the overall jurisdiction to be placed at USDA, specifically with the Food Safety Inspection Service, because we know that if we want to have a level playing field and if they really want to engage in the meat space, they need to be treated like everybody else in the meat space. And the fact that this product is derived from cells that are taken from a carcass, we believe is legally the connection to FSIS and USDA inspection rather than FDA inspection. It is interesting, and you're right. How a question is phrased, how it's worded, that makes a big difference on the outcome of any survey or any poll, that's for sure. I find it interesting, though, with all the skepticism and all the uh, concerns that are raised over GMOs or biotechnology, and we've seen in the past reluctance of people, of consumers, to accept irradiated meat, even though that's been proven to be safe. I find it interesting that now that this is something people would all of a sudden be on board with and okay with. Mike, you absolutely went straight to the heart of this issue, and it's something that we also have a hard time trying to really get our our hands around, our minds around, because you're right, the exact same people who have thrown a fit about irradiation, even though that could save lives, and the people who have thrown a fit about GMOs are the exact same people who are not only trying to push fake meat products, but in a lot of cases are funding these ventures. People like Richard Branson from the Virgin line of uh, products. You have people like Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation that are engaged. Uh, People that uh, have have not necessarily always been on the side of production agriculture, uh, thrown rocks at us, but now have decided that this technology is great technology. So uh, that that is the the big conundrum here. We don't know exactly how that all pencils out, but regardless, uh, they seem to be moving forward, and, and we have to be prepared for that. It shows the challenges of um, marketing with today's consumers and. Uh, they are influenced by a lot of different things, and uh, boy, if you're not on top of that, and if you're not engaged with them, you can you can get left out if you're not careful. You can, and when you look at these companies and their continued use of the term clean meat, we have no doubt that that's going to resonate with the consumer. 
given all of the accusations that have been thrown at our industry over the years, everything from hormone use to antibiotic use to impact on the environment, people are going to see that clean meat, and they're probably going to uh, use that in, in their calculation on whether or not they, they buy that product. That's why we have to make sure that we are doing everything we can to talk about our process. It's an age-old adage, though, we have to tell our story, and telling our story, as we have found, is harder and harder, especially when our story takes a much longer time to explain the details, whereas a simple phrase is clean meat is something that comes out uh, very crisply, very quick, and can allow the consumer to go, oh, then it must be better. Uh, And so we have to get much better at trying to make our message uh, quicker, faster and easier to consume by our customers. Because that's what it's come down to uh, in marketing of all sorts of products now. It's more and more about not so much what you have. It's it's to make the other person or the other product, the competitor, the competition look bad or insinuate that somehow they're doing something wrong that makes you look better. That that's kind of We see that a lot in, in uh, advertising and, and marketing today. Yeah, Mike, it's just like politics. Uh, it's about demonizing the other side and who has the best soundbite yeah so that that's going to be a challenge so where does it stand on uh, who gets jurisdiction fda or usda where does that stand this has gone all the way to the white house so right now the white house is looking at both sides and the claims from both sides and they will ultimately make that decision Uh, we know that secretary purdue has been very strong in his assertion that it needs to be a usda but Administrator Gottlieb over at the Food and Drug Administration, FDA, has done the same. So we as industry, specifically our barnyard, which consists of NCBA, the Pork Producers Council, the Turkey Federation, the Chicken Council, uh, we're spending a lot of time with the Domestic Policy Council at the White House, the National Economic Council at the White House, and the White House Office of Management and Budget to make sure they understand why it needs to be at USDA. And FDA can have a portion of this discussion because FDA is going to be uh, key in just making sure that the process works and the process is approved. But when it comes to that day-to-day inspection, nobody is better qualified to handle that than USDA. Well, this is an important issue and I think maybe more important than some people realize. So that's why we need to keep a close watch on it. I know you're very actively involved in this, Colin, you and NCBA. So uh, we'll stay in touch with you on this. Thank you very much. Good to talk with you again. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Colin Woodall, Senior Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. All right, regulations proposed by the Treasury Department and IRS would include a new 20% deduction for so-called pass-through entities. Now, this could be farms and ranches, ranches that are structured as pass-throughs, like partnerships, limited liability companies, or sole proprietorships. And uh, so there could be some uh, positives in this, some favorable terms. We're going to talk with CPA Paul Niefer about that next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Stay with us. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. 
UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Grain traders looking ahead to USDA supply demand report due out at 11 central time on this Friday. Analysts expect USDA to show higher U.S. soybean production alongside growing domestic and global supplies. They think the corn harvest will shrink, however. USDA is due to put soybean yields right around 49.8 bushels per acre, according to the average of trade guesses compiled by the Wall Street Journal. Soybean production due to rise to a record 4.43 billion bushels as a result. Corn yields, meanwhile, expected at around 176.3 bushels per acre, output falling to 14.4 billion bushels, down from 14.6 a year ago. November soybeans retreated on Thursday's trading session, backpedaling on this Friday as well. The November contract stalling just shy of minor resistance at 9.15. That'd be the high from August 1st. On the downside, key bean support lies at 8.83.5. That'd be the August 3rd low. As long as that holds firm, the short-term uptrend remains intact. Bean bulls, though, the burden's on them to support an upside breakout above 922 and a quarter to unlock a new buying wave. Meanwhile, December corn sliding on Thursday, penny or two lower, an hour in on this Friday. The bulls losing patience, the market holding resistance in the 388 to 389 level past couple of sessions, some taking profits. For livestock at the Merck and Lean Hog Futures, recovery continues 95 to a dollar 95 higher on this Friday, but we're a dime to 35 lower in live cattle and 20 to 65 lower in feeder cattle. The Dow is down 203 points. September crude oil in New York up 78 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited-time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's take a look at this proposal by the Treasury Department and IRS for a new 20% deduction for pass-through entities and how this could impact farms and ranches. 
We bring in Paul Niefer, CPA for Clifton Larson. Alan, Paul, good to talk with you again. Thanks for being with us. Uh, take us into this uh, proposal. Do you like it? I mean, is this going to be good for I, farmers and ranchers? I, I, yeah, I think bottom line, the uh, proposal that the IRS came out with is actually pretty favorable to, to farmers. Uh, there's still a few things that we're still a little uncertain on, but uh, the one area where it was really favorable is our big concern was, you know, we have all these farm operations that have broken up their farm into multiple entities. You know, one entity owns the farmland, another entity is the one that actually farms it, and then the semi-trucks are in another entity, and so on and so forth. And our concern was for our higher-income farmers that, you know, you weren't going to be able to aggregate or group all those entities together and call it one business. And what the proposed regulations came out and said that as long as you're a controlled group and that means you have common ownership of at least 50% in all these entities, that that's going to allow you to group it. And if you're a higher-income farmer, you're going to be able to take advantage of all those wages and qualified property in the group instead of having to look at each trader business, which likely was going to eliminate uh, some or all of that deduction for quite a bit of that income. So so that was really the favorable provision that came out in the regulations. So this would this is what, Section 199A, right, is what this yeah, is? Yeah, and we always refer to it as 199 Cap A, because sometimes you have 199 Lower A and 199 <laughs> Cap A. So we always try to call it 199 Cap A, but if you call it, 199A, I think everybody will know. What about absentee landowners? Yeah, still a little uncertainty in my opinion. Um, the, the first uh, example that they had in the regulations talked about somebody that owned land that was rented, uh, rented for a parking lot at an airport, and they said uh, that that was qualified business income, which would qualify for the deduction. But they didn't really indicate anywhere in the actual wording of the regulations that uh, rental income would qualify for the deduction. So, you know, we have 45 days to give notice to the IRS as to our comments. So I think uh, certainly the AICPA is going to ask for more clarity on that. It's still, in my opinion, now other commentators may take a different uh, tack on this, but in my opinion, it's still a little bit unclear as to whether they're going to qualify. What about, let's say, a dairy farmer who sells cows? Would, uh, uh, would, that, would that count yeah. as, uh, for the deduction? Yeah, let's back up on that. You know, we were thinking that those gains on selling the cows, which is what we call 1231 gains that are capital gains, we thought that that might qualify. And then down below, when you do your final calculation based on taxable income, you know that might get backed out a little bit. However, the regulation, this is a bad provision of the regulations. It came out specifically said that 1231 gains do not qualify for the deduction if they're treated as capital gains. So uh, uh, now our dairy farmers, they're still pretty happy because they're going to get that DPAD deduction that flows through from the cooperative, which is going to be a pretty good-sized deduction for a lot of those dairy farmers. The ones that are not... Uh, uh, dealing with a cooperative they're probably not as happy after the regulations came out so section 199 cap a it's a proposal how what's it got what's got to happen for it become uh, actually happen actually it is in the law mike it's part of our okay. code so uh, you know that was part of that green glitch fix you know they originally had the yeah. provision where if you sold a cooperative you got 20 percent of the uh, 
gross sales. Now it's 20 percent of the net. What the IRS came out with two days ago was the regulations that interpret the law. So uh, right in the law it said, hey, we're not going to go into all these nitty-gritty details. We're going to leave it up to the IRS to actually come out with those details. So this, it is a law. This is just interpreting the law for us. Okay, so overall, you see this is a positive for agriculture. I, I think it's pretty positive. Uh, uh, you know, certainly the 20% deduction is positive, and then again, the interpretation that the IRS, their spin that they put on it, it mostly was positive. You know, the, the 1231 gains I didn't really like, but uh, that was likely going to be limited anyway because of the taxable income limitation. So for me, all in all, I thought the, the regulations were fairly positive for ag. We're talking with Paul Neifer, CPA with Clifton Larson Allen. Paul, anything else going on with uh, taxes and uh, changes that uh, farmers and ranchers need to be aware of, keep in mind? You know, I, I think that the one thing that I would uh, tell our farmers is, you know, we have all these provisions that are going to allow them to dramatically reduce their taxable income, such as 100% bonus depreciation, large amount of Section 179, the changes on the cash to accrual. A lot of farmers are cash, but you're allowed to even start deducting some of your inventory costs. I want to caution our farmers that trading net operating losses under this tax code is not as favorable as it used to be. So uh, we're going to have to have a lot more planning before year end than we've even done in the past to make sure that we don't drive income down too low. We want to take advantage of those deductions. Uh, we want to take advantage of those credits, and we want to definitely take advantage of the fact that we have lower tax rates. That 10 and 12% tax rate may not be around for too long, so we want to pay some tax probably at that level. And, and so we got to be careful. Don't, uh, don't jam your income down thinking you're in great shape. We actually want to optimize our income. So I, I know that's a little tough for farmers. They have that genetic chip that says thou shalt not pay taxes, but uh, we want to pay a little bit now so they don't pay a huge amount later on. There's talk of more tax changes coming. Uh, what Anything that you're seeing that we ought to keep an eye on that could be in the pipeline maybe? Yeah, you know, the, the indexing of uh, capital gains to inflation, you know, there's been a lot of chatter that, that the Treasury Department could issue that. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think that's uh, uh, certainly more at the legislative level than it is at the executive branch. Uh, the other thing, we know that the House would like to pass a, a law that says that these temporary provisions, including 199 CAFE, instead of being temporary, you know, they all expire at the end of 2025. They want to make them permanent. Uh, but I think, you know, Jim Weissmeyer and so on has already said, you know, hey, that it, this isn't, there's no way this is going to get through the Senate because it allows some of those Democrats that are running in like North Dakota and so on to say, hey, I voted for this thing, even though they know it's not going to pass. So uh, I, I think probably the earliest we're going to see any type of tax provisions are going to be after the midterm elections and before the new Congress comes in. Then we might see something. But there's a lot to keep track of, and you want to be sure that you take full advantage of the opportunities that are there. I know that's what you're working with clients uh, all around the country on right now. Exactly. Actually, when the regulations came out, Chris Hesse and myself were teaching an internal eight-hour tax session, and that's what I'm doing today is an external one. And just as we start, we get the news that the regulations are coming out, so we start reading through it. And we go, uh-oh, that slide's wrong. That was got to be changed. Our example's wrong. So, But we knew that was going to happen. We were we were using our best estimate on what the, the guidance would be. But, uh, again, 
the guidance that I saw, I actually thought was pretty favorable. And as you said, you want to make sure that you don't, you know, uh, you don't do something that keeps you from either taking advantage of an opportunity or causes you problems down the road, right? Right, right. We're, we're starting to see more and more farmers, you know, getting ready to retire, and they're facing that uh, half a million, a million, two million dollar tax bill just because they've done a good job of pushing that tax down the road. Problem is, you know, they were always at a very low tax bracket. Now they're at extremely high tax brackets. They have some debt. You know, a lot of cases, uh, they're not even going to generate enough income to cover the tax bill. So there's some planning steps that we can do to help mitigate that and We've done that with several farmers that, uh, you know, farmers just need to be aware of what is that deferred tax liability and how do we manage it. Well, that's always tricky when you get in. We talk a lot about the need for good estate planning and transition planning, but uh, there are a lot of steps involved there, and you don't want any missteps. Exactly. You You can afford a small one, but just don't have the one that pushes you over the cliff. Are you seeing a lot of activity in that area uh, right now, Paul? Is there a lot of transition planning going on? Yes, we're definitely, it's, uh, you know, back in 10, 11, 12, I think a lot of farmers that were older that had thought about it uh, were enjoying the, the good pricing. Uh, you know, certainly starting about a year, year and a half ago, I've seen a definite pickup, at least in my clientele or people that uh, contact me that, uh, you know, that older generation hey, we're tired of this, we're going to sell out, not necessarily sell out, we're going to transfer to the next generation, or uh, in some cases they are selling out. I've I've had several that uh, we're done farming, we're going to just cash rent our ground and uh, enjoy our retirement. Yeah, it's always that, if you're kind of to that stage, you think, do you get out while prices are good, or do you get out when you're down like now and you say, I just don't want to go through this again? Kind of interesting, the timing on that for people. Yeah, and, you know, and I actually talked to uh, several farmers back in 12, you know, when we had the changes or the proposed uh, cliff on the estate tax, and and a lot of them ended up selling their ground. They said, hey, I've had a good run. I'm cashing in. I'm willing to pay the tax, and uh, and those probably in hindsight maybe uh, ended up with a little bit more value on their land. But, you know, as we've seen, Mike, you know, land prices really haven't crashed in the last five years. Maybe they've come off the top a little bit, but... uh, uh, I think there's still a pretty good time to, to lock in some of those gains. Don't let, you know, these low prices, you know, totally eat up all your equity. Always good to talk with you, Paul. Thanks for the updates. No problem. Thanks, Mike. Take care. We'll stay in touch. Paul Neifer, CPA with Clifton Larson Allen. All right. Big win for environmentalists when a U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit yesterday told EPA to pretty much banned a pesticide and pull registrations within 60 days. That court nullified a decision by EPA to overturn a proposed ban on the pesticide. And uh, this could have big ramifications. Will this ruling stand? If so, what does it mean for agriculture and the use of the pesticide moving forward? We're going to get into all of that with Gary Bays, an attorney with OFW Law. That's next on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
Did you ever look at the stains in your coffee cup and then realize that's exactly what happens to your teeth? Paraswabs is the five-minute solution to get your teeth white without visiting the dentist. This is John Greenhut, the CEO of Paraswabs. And if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, all it takes is five minutes with Paraswabs. In five minutes, you'll see an average of two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. It's clinically proven to whiten natural teeth as well as caps and veneers. The secret is a tooth detergent that was developed by Dr. Martin Ginniger that lifts stains off of your teeth. Best of all, there's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes and you're done. To try Power Swabs risk-free, call 866-504-0276. That's 866-504-0276. I guarantee your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free today. 866-504-0276. 866-504-0276. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit? Low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. 
Antonio H. told us, great company. Got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Farmers are feeling the pain from President Trump's trade war. Brent Bible Farms in Lafayette, Indiana. Today we farm about 5,000 acres and raise primarily corn and soybeans. Free trade is essential to the ag economy. This is not a war that I signed up for. It's not a war that I want to be drafted for. Our farm and many others like ours will be one of the first casualties of the trade war. President Trump, stop the trade war. Paid for by Farmers for Free Trade. TariffsHurt.com. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Okay, so the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit yesterday told EPA to ban the uh, commonly used pesticide and pull registration within 60 days over uh, uh, concerns over risk to human health. Let's break this down. We bring in Gary Bays, an attorney with OFW Law. Gary, uh, you you were emailing me saying this is this is a big decision. Uh, tell us more about it and the implications of it. Good morning, Mike. Uh, glad to be with you on uh, this Friday. Uh, a couple of points about this case that came down yesterday from the Ninth Circuit, as you noted. I thought our listeners would be interested in knowing that the people who brought this case actually started it back in 2007 with EPA with a petition to take this product off the market. Among the uh, and which product is it, Gary? Gary, let's, Latin American Gary, yes. Gary, let's explain which which pesticide it is. What product is it? Commonly it's used, although I think farmers have used less lately. Is the uh, substance that is uh, used. It's the only option to control borers in cherry and peach trees. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the uh, there will be a hundred percent loss of planting uh, on a number of uh, these trees. Uh, as I said, it's the only effective control option for borers in cherry and peach trees. Uh, in citrus, chlorpyrifos is the only effective control for ants. Uh, and it's used on about 40,000 farms uh, in the, uh, the country. And it's just one of the uh, old standby uh, pesticides that uh, we in agriculture have used. But what happened in this case uh, brought by uh, all these uh, groups in California, Natural Resources Defense uh, Council, California Rural Legal Assistance, plus the attorney generals of the state of New York, uh, Maryland, Vermont, Washington, Massachusetts, and the District of Columbia, that great agricultural state, weighed in on taking chlorpyrifos off the market. Now, there was a report given to EPA by USDA uh, about uh, two years ago, which pointed out that, uh, EPA, you're wrong in taking chlorpyrifos off the market. This turned EPA around when the Trump administration came in to... uh, uh, authority. Uh, one thing that happens in this case is EPA assumed what the risk number was and then added a 10 times factor to that, Mike. 10 times. Which means you have a number and you lower it by a factor of 10. Now, what this case 
Cortez out of California, and, and I blame the lawyers, both at uh, Department of Justice and Dow AgriScience had uh, some very good lawyers. Uh, they are brilliant with regard to uh, the Pesticide Act, but uh, they're dumber than posts when it comes to the sort of the practical side of agriculture. But uh, USDA put together a report that said, EPA, you cannot make this safety factor of 10 work. Uh, there's too much data available on uh, chlorofirifos, and you can't use this factor of 10 on chlorofirifos. USDA went out and tested hundreds, if not thousands, of school water samples from 2010 to 2013 at the parts per trillion level, Mike, and they didn't find any chlorofirifos. Now, this court in California says the risk is too great. Well, of course, if you lower the risk number by a factor of 10, it is too great. If we don't wake up in agriculture, the, the folks on the left are going to put us out of business. And that's the, the implication, the precedent that could be set here. Now, EPA is reviewing this, the decision. They have the opportunity to delay uh, this uh, impact of this, I guess, if they request a rehearing by the same panel of judges. Is that right? Well, how this works in the legal system, three judges made this decision. Two judges, uh, and I won a case in the Ninth Circuit though, about eight or nine years ago and had a two-to-one vote. That's a pretty slim majority, but that's what you first have. What you can now do, uh, the second step, is to ask for a rehearing by the full panel of judges in the Ninth Circuit. Generally, that doesn't happen, but they'll give you 10 or 12 judges to rehear this. Thirdly, they can seek to stay this. Fourthly, they can take it up to the Supreme Court. Uh, but right now, EPA and I assume Dow argued that this was a case that shouldn't be heard by the Ninth Circuit because it was on a procedural matter. EPA hadn't completed its what's called the administrative steps. And the Ninth Circuit said, nonsense to that. This thing is too great a risk. Part of it is dependent on what I just said. They lowered the safety factor number by a factor of 10. That's crazy. So we'll watch and see what happens with this and what the next step is. Meanwhile, there's also a big case in California, glyphosate's on trial there. What can you tell us about yes. that? What I can tell you about glyphosate is that that is under what California knows as Prop 65. If something is likely to cause cancer, in fact, uh, for our listeners who go to California, you'll see these signs in ice cream shops, uh, the restaurants, uh, it, it, they have become ubiquitous, Mike. And this silly law that they have in California says all of us need to be warned. In fact, you will see even in the grocery stores, and particularly I've noticed it around salad bars in uh, California because there are some slight residues. And, and the plaintiff's lawyers have said if there's any kind of chance, uh, you've got to tell the folks that, uh, what they're eating or consuming or the building they're in might cause them cancer. Well, that scares everybody to death, but most people do not pay attention to it. With regard to glyphosate, California said the IARC division, which is a part of the World Health Organization in France, said that glyphosate, uh, and I can't recall the word exactly, Mike, but it's either probable or possible carcinogen. California says, or the plaintiff's lawyers say, you've got to notify everybody, and you've got to put on your label, glyphosate is this. The lawsuit is whether you can force speech, and that is put it on the label to warn people that it causes cancer. My guess is that Monsanto, I think they're the lead ones on this, will win that case. All right, so ag in the courtroom, some big cases, some big decisions, and uh, Gary, thank you for keeping us updated on this. Appreciate it. Anytime, Mike. All right, Gary Bays, an attorney with OFW 
Law. A lot going on here as we wrap up this week. Coming up on Monday, I'll be in Sedalia, Missouri at the Missouri State Fair. We'll talk with uh, the Missouri Director of Agriculture, Chris Chin, and uh, Missouri Farm Bureau President Blake Hurst and others about the drought situation in Missouri and uh, what's being done to help folks there. A lot of challenges, a lot of issues with the drought, get updates on the crops and uh, also talk a little bit about some of the issues of the day like we're talking about with trade and farm bill and some of those things. So we'll be at Sedalia, Missouri on Monday at the Missouri Farm Bureau building. If you're going to be at the fair on Monday, stop by and see us. Thanks for being with us today. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for being with us on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.